The Compliance Life details the journey to and in the role of a Chief Compliance Officer. How does one come to sit in the CCO chair? What are some of the skills a CCO needs to successfully navigate the compliance waters in any company? What are some of the top challenges CCOs have faced and how did they meet them? These questions and many others will be explored in this new podcast series. The Compliance Life is hosted by Tom Fox, and each month he'll present the story of one CCO through four episodes. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. For the month of March on The Compliance Life, I visit with Rob Chesna. Rob was most recently the Chief Compliance Officer at Airbnb. Rob has had a long and distinguished legal career, starting out with the U.S. Attorney's Office, then moving across the country to join eBay in the 1990s. He worked on in Silicon Valley for the next 20 years or so. In 2016, he moved to Airbnb as their general counsel and later moved to take over the role or take on the role of the chief ethics officer. He also wrote the best-selling book, Intentional Integrity. It's a really fascinating podcast series. Rob has a unique journey, as do all chief compliance officers. I know you will enjoy this series, and more importantly, you will learn a lot about uh, being an in-house lawyer, a chief compliance officer, and a chief ethics officer. Plan to join us over the month of March for The Compliance Life. These podcasts post each Tuesday at 2 p.m. In this part two, we take a look at Rob's move to the corporate world. He literally moved across the country from Virginia to San Francisco to take a job at eBay in in the 1990s. He worked in Silicon Valley up until uh, 2020. We take a look at many of the uh, strategies he used in the General Counsel's Office around fraud. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again for another episode of The Compliance Life. This month, we're visiting with Rob Chestnut. Um, Rob, first of all, welcome back. Glad to be back, Tom. Rob, uh, today I wanted to focus or at least visit with you a little bit about your move to the corporate world. You were a federal prosecutor in uh, Northern Virginia and moved across the country to join eBay. I was wondering uh, why the cross-country move? Well, I, I have been looking, you know, for something different, you know, something that I thought was positive and having a positive impact on the world, but I didn't know what it was. And as a federal prosecutor, you know, there's not an easy move. You know, most federal prosecutors end up going to law firms and, and defending you know, people. And that just isn't something that I was interested in. But, but the question was, what was I going to do? I got really lucky, Tom. You know, there was this little company in our jurisdiction. And I kept getting phone calls from other prosecutors about this little company. Everybody wanted records from this little company. Everybody wanted to know what was going on with this little company. I'm like, what is this company? So uh, the name of this company was AOL. America Online. They were located in Reston, Virginia. So I figured, well, I better, I better go figure this thing out. So I end up, you know, getting a disc. And Tom, you and I, you know, both remember the old days. America Online was the only way you could get on the internet back in the in the in the nineteen nineties. So I, you had to get a disc. You had to put it in your computer. You had to plug your phone into the back of the computer. So that's what I did in order to figure out what America Online was. And what it did was it opened up a whole new world for me. I don't mean to sound like a Disney movie, but it was a really eye-opening experience to uh, to get online and start looking around. And I, 
I had uh, a photography hobby, and you know, I, but I always had trouble finding used photography equipment. So somebody said, "Well, you should try this website called eBay." So I'm like, "eBay? I've never heard of this thing. What's eBay?" So I end up going to eBay and using eBay as a customer, buying and selling photography equipment. Way back in the early days of the early days of eBay, this is back in 1997. The company's only a year year or two old at this point. And one night it hit me. Uh, this is a company that could probably use somebody with a federal prosecutor's background, right? They've got illegal items. They've got fraud. I'm sure they've got all kinds of government regulatory issues. Maybe they could use me. So I, I go look, and the company's located in San Jose, California. Well, you know, to be honest with you, Tom, I didn't know where San Jose, California was. I, I knew where San Francisco and L.A. were, but I figured, well, it's California. How bad could it be? So I, I sent them a resume blind. They didn't have a job opening posted. I just sent it to jobebay.com. That was the email address on the website. And I sent it off, and I figured I'd never hear anything again. I get home the next day, and my wife says, you didn't tell me you applied to eBay. I said, how do you know? And she said, well, there was a phone message here on our answering machine. Uh, uh, they want to talk to you. And you know, a, a, literally a week later, I'm having dinner with Meg Whitman. Who I didn't know who Meg Whitman was either at the time, but she's she's showing me these charts over dinner, and I didn't know what these charts meant either. But they were going to the up and to the right, and it looked like eBay was really doing well. So uh, I uh, went back to my wife, and my wife was you know, was uh, a federal law enforcement agent herself. She said, "I don't know." So Meg meets my wife. Meg offers her a job too. So we were like, all right, uh, let's do it. So we packed up the you know, what little we had and you know, the, put the dog under our arm and went to the West Coast. So from your um, uh, resume, I know that was in uh, the 1990s. And whatever yeah. eBay is now or uh, the tech industry is now, it's very different in the 90s. And well, There were 170 people when I joined. We were on uh, two floors of one building. Uh, when I left, they had 15,000 people. So what was it like, though, back in the 90s? Was it the Wild West? Was it you were able to really build out your own practice within the company? Was it a true startup that you had to build it up from the ground up? Or what was that part of your experience like? Well, you know, back in those days, companies went public at a pretty early stage. By the time I joined them, they had just gone public. Uh, and they only had 170 people. And I was the third lawyer. And, you know, the, I remember the general counsel was a corporate corporate guy, brilliant lawyer by the name of Mike Jacobson. And you know, Mike looked at me and said, well, you're the only one of us that's ever been in a courtroom before, so you're in charge of global litigation. <laughs> and intellectual property, uh, that's close to litigation, so you've got that too. And it, you, it, it, was, it was just a, um, uh, such a learning curve for me. The good news was that Meg Whitman uh, looked at me and said, you know, we want to be a well-lit market. She said, we don't want to be the Wild West. Uh, she said, I don't know what all the rules are, Rob. She said, but you're in charge of figuring that out. She said, I want you to figure out what we can legally buy and people can buy and sell on eBay all around the world. So, you know, with that one sentence, I became responsible for figuring out the law in virtually every country in the world because eBay was global. Uh, everything from, you know, wine, cigarettes, uh, concert tickets, uh, you know, uh, ivory, jewelry, uh, you know, you name it, kidneys. 
uh, and the like. So I basically had to build out the entire rules infrastructure for the company. But the, the important thing was that I was guided by a leader who wanted to do the right thing. And, you know, she said, you know, well, we've got a big, this is a big business. There's lots of opportunity for us. I don't want to play it close to the line. You tell us what we can do and we'll follow it. And that is what really mattered to me. So one of the things uh, I noted in researching uh, you for this podcast was that you're uh, building out of your fraud prevention program at eBay. I was wondering if you could maybe just take us through that process. Yeah. Well, I started as a lawyer, you know, as the third lawyer there. And uh, after a while, you know, I was running North America legal for the company. And, you know, Meg Whitman came to me one day and she said, you know, Rob, there's a lot of fraud going on on eBay. And back in those days, there was really nothing to stop fraud except for eBay's feedback system. You know, there was no team looking for fraudulent listings and, you know, scammers were taking advantage of it. And people were getting ripped, getting ripped off and losing money. And Meg came, called me and said, uh, this is a big problem for the company. We're going to have to address this. And I agreed with her. I told her this was a significant issue, not just legally and for the brand, but for the world and the Internet. And she said, well, I want you to fix it. And I said, well, Meg, I'm a lawyer, Meg. And she said, uh, she said yeah, I know. She said, but I think, uh, she said, I think you can figure this out. She said, I'll give you whatever resources you need. You come to me with whatever budget you think is necessary. And I'm going to support you. Uh, so that was uh, that was a pretty daunting task. And but what I was able to do was I was able to put together a team of the smartest people I could find in the company. She told me I could have who I wanted, uh, and uh, so I went out and grabbed, put a team together. Ultimately, we ended up building a global team. Uh, by the time I left, it was two thousand people. I think if she had known I, I needed 2,000 people, I'm not sure she would have told me I could have whatever I wanted. Uh, but we built, a, we, we built an entire fraud infrastructure where you know, we built an, uh, an intelligent infrastructure that watched the website 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There were 7 million items a day listed on eBay back in those days in every language. And we built a system that screened them uh, and put suspicious listings in front of teams of people all around the world for review. Uh, and it, it, it was a big learning curve, you know, Tom, because back in those days, there were no other platforms. There were no other e-commerce platforms to learn from. Uh, you know, even, you know, a- Amazon was fledgling at that point. So uh, we were pretty much building this uh, internally without any external tools, building it uh, just, you know, as best we could. Uh, based upon what a lot of smart people thought was the right thing to do. And we, we came up for, with a name for this group. It was called Trust and Safety. And now Trust and Safety is a, uh, a profession. There are, there are organ, professional organizations made up of trust and safety professionals. It's, it's a common job title. And people who were early days trust and safety at eBay now run trust and safety at places like Facebook and YouTube. Uh, so it was uh, a fascinating, you know, early time in the internet. So what uh, could you maybe describe for us the different types of disciplines you had on your initial team? Uh, in addition to yourself as a, as a lawyer, what other types of corporate disciplines were you able to draw upon? I was almost the only lawyer. I, I quickly realized that this wasn't a legal problem. And as some folks in the company you know, and I sat down, we figured out that it was uh, – in many ways, a math problem uh, of, you know, uh, distinguishing between good and bad listings. 
uh, and figuring out statistical probabilities that would enable scoring. So we, we put together uh, a number of statisticians, modelers, who could uh, crunch large volumes of data and, and help build models for us. So I had a team of engineers uh, that built trust and safety tools. Uh, so we, we had our own engineering team. We had uh, our own modeling and statistician group. Uh, a lot of people in customer support centers, but these weren't typical customer support employees. They were, these were people who may have started their career there, but sort of evolved toward uh, you know, stopping fraud. And so a, a lot of the employees in trust and safety were working in centers around the country reviewing individual listings, or not just the country. They were, these centers were around the world. Uh, they, we had policy folks who would you know, help us figure out what the rules ought to be. How many items should you be able to list if you come to eBay the first time? Should you be able to list 100 uh, LCD televisions? Should you be able to list 50 cars? What sort of background checks should we do on people and at what point? Uh, and how many items should you be able to bid on? You know, these are all things that we were exploring and you know, learning as we went back in those early days. So you later um, you left eBay and, and one of the companies you went to was called Chegg which you took help take public in 2013. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the process of taking a, a company public, really from the sort of legal slash compliance perspective, and, and what does a kind of a SOX 404 look at a company mean for someone going, a company going from private to public? Yeah, you know, I when eBay got to be about 15,000 people, uh, I figured out that I enjoyed building more than... Uh, honing. You know, Meg Whitman had left the company by that time. Uh, I decided I wanted a new challenge. So uh, there was a, a, a company that was being run by a guy by the name of Dan Rosenzweig, who was a, a executive at Yahoo. And a friend of mine from eBay actually was already working at Chegg. He was running engineering for him, Chuck Geiger. And they called me. Uh, at that point, Chegg didn't have any lawyers at all. And they were about 300 people strong. Uh, and, you know, on a very good trajectory. So I looked at it as a good opportunity to run my own legal department, get back to the law a bit. And so I went there and built out a legal team uh, and, you know, help them think through what are the various compliance issues that you've got to, to, to deal with. Uh, you know, I worked with a, uh, a, a terrific CA, a CFO who's still there. You know, Dan, Dan's still there. Andy Brown, their CFO, is still there. And we were uh, really, a, it was a terrific group of folks that really loved working with each other. Uh, folks go to Chegg and they stay. It's a great place to work. Uh, and we built it out and to, ended up taking the company public. And the company now is, uh, gosh, I think they're probably like $13, $14 billion company today, a, a real uh, leader in the education space. So, Rob, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us for our next episode where we take up uh, the Airbnb years. I look forward to continuing the conversation. Sounds good, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again for listening to this episode of The Compliance Life. I hope you will join me again next week where I take up another episode with in The Compliance Life. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. If you would like to be featured on The Compliance Life, please uh, give me an email at uh, tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, if you like this series, please give us a rating on iTunes 
Uh, any review and rating would definitely help get the word out about the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.